Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. If you have your Bibles, would you turn them with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. Jeremiah, chapter 2. This month, we are beginning a mini-series entitled, More of You. More of you, desiring that we would have more of God, more of His presence in our lives. So I have a question for you today, right off the bat. Are you thirsty? I mean, are you thirsty? This series over this next month is dedicated to the unbeliever, to those who time after time has thirsted for satisfaction and has always been left wanting, who time after time have cast their pail, have plummeted to the depths of the well that this world has to offer and has pulled back nothing but mud and gravel and slop. This series is dedicated to you here today who desire satisfaction and peace and yet it evades you at every attempt. It's dedicated to the believer here today who time after time has settled for less, who time after time has settled for a checklist Christianity, puddles of blessing while depths of oceans of blessings await you. To you and to me, who's been satisfied with just a drop when so much more awaits us. And it's dedicated to God who sits just on the edge of his throne inviting mankind to see his worth. Who sits upon his throne waiting to pour out all of his blessings upon you. Who sits on his throne with this invitation. Do you want more? of me and my prayer today is that over the next few months we will explore uh, uh, pursuing him desiring him coming towards him so much more awaits us over the next month we're going to we're going to examine what it is today to thirst after God that's that blue drop up there and then next week we're going to look and you may say we're going to learn about breathing that's not lungs that's uh, binoculars and we're going to learn what it is to seek after God. And then the next week, we're going to examine what it means to burn. And I don't, it's not a sermon on hell. It's a, it's a sermon on fanning into flames, stoking the fire that God has began in us. And we're going to have a very special week in between number three and number four. We're going to have a one-day revival. Jeff Ginn's going to be here. And I know that God is going to speak through him and that, God has something special for us that day, and I hope that you'll be here with us for that day. And then lastly, we're going to discuss waiting, waiting on God. What is your motivation in your life? But if you have your Bibles today, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, our verse that we'll be looking at today in detail will be verse 13, but I would like for us to begin in verse 5, thus says the Lord. What wrong did your fathers find in me 
that they went far from me and went after worthless and worthlessness and became worthless. They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, and in land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things, but when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. For cross the coast to Cyprus and see, or send to Keter and, and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods? Even though they are no gods. My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord in verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, a fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm in desperate need today, even as I preach, even as I speak and, and try to lead uh, your people here into desiring more of you. I need more of you in this moment, more now than I ever have. Father, I pray that you would anoint me for the preaching of your word. Father, would every single word that comes out of my mouth be pleasing to you. And Father, would your spirit convict the hearts of, of believers here today. Would you convict those who have yet to follow Jesus? Father, would your spirit just convict us and draw us to where we desire and where we thirst after you? And God, whatever happens today, Father, I'll be very careful to give you and you alone all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as you look at Scripture, all throughout Scripture, water is a symbol for life and for vitality. Uh, for people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, clean, drinkable water was a real concern of theirs, where they would get this water. It's important to life. And today, 663 million people have the same concern. 663 million people in this world, that's 10% of the world's population, do not have access to clean, drinkable water. Think of that. One in 10 citizens of the world do not have access to clean, drinkable water. Many of them walk upwards of four miles daily to try to get drinkable water for their families. And while physically it looks like we're in a pretty good spot, I mean, you can walk a few feet and you can, you can get clean water in a sink or you can uh, go to your refrigerator and get clean water or to the bathtub or to the shower or some of the best cold water I've drank in summer times is from a water hose in our backyard. It's pretty easy to come across clean water where we are, but that's just what's visible. I suggest to you that what's unseen and what is unfolding to us 
is a very different circumstance that while we may have physical access to water in our country, I would say that we have uh, zero, uh, I wouldn't say zero access, but I say we have zero desire to have the clean living water that God and God alone provides. And today I, I want us to examine what it means to be thirsty, what it means to desire God. Can I ask you a question today? Are you thirsty? Do you desire God? Do you long for Him? In our passage today, God speaks through His wailing and mourning prophet Jeremiah to His people, to Israel, and He says, though I've provided for you everything, you have abandoned me. I am your source of living water. I am your source of life and vitality. You have abandoned me, and you have decided in what is a strange, strange picture, you have, you have ignored a fountain of living water and you have dug for yourself wells that will not hold water. And my suggestion to us today is this, that just as God has spoken this to Israel, it serves as a warning to us. I believe that the church, that we, have abandoned the fountain of living water, the fountain of life, that we've stopped desiring God and just been satisfied with what we think are the things of God, the blessings that we have physically in this life that keep us so preoccupied that we don't realize that we are dehydrated and are in need of spiritual living water. And so I wish to push forward our text today through two questions two questions today. The first is this. Have you abandoned the fountain? Have you abandoned the fountain? Look with me in verse 13. For my people have committed two evils, the Lord says. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. The first thing that, that God tells his people here is, you have forsaken me, you have abandoned me. Can you imagine such a sight? You have, you have forsaken me. I'm the fountain of living waters. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God draws this similarity or draws this, this uh, idea that he is water, uh, that he is living water. He is the water that the Israelites drank as they, as they were in a, in a dry and desert land and the people began to complain to Moses and God told Moses to go and to strike that rock and water would come forward to them. That was, that was God's doing. Everything in the Old Testament of God, being, uh, of, of, of God being living water is summed up in the life of Jesus. Jesus is living water. And in the Gospel of John, we find a succession here of Jesus speaking of himself as water. Do you remember Jesus when he was heading in John chapter 4? He was uh, heading uh, with his disciples to a different place and they stop in, in Samaria and his disciples go into town for food and Jesus meets the woman at the well. Do you know what I'm talking about church? Do you remember that story? Sunday school we learned this, this account. I preached on it just a few months ago. Jesus stops at this well and he encounters the Samaritan woman. 
This woman comes out during the heat of the day to collect water. No one else is there. She's ashamed of her life. She doesn't want public interaction because she knows all of her life she has looked for love in all of the wrong places. She has had multiple husbands. The man that she is with now is not her husband. She is living in sin. Everyone in town knows that she is that woman and not to be around them. The women talked about her, and the women would not even want their husbands to be around such a woman. And yet here she is coming to the well, and Jesus begins to speak with her. He asks, he asks her, could you, could you give me some water? And she's surprised. Well, no one's spoken to me in a long time, much less a Jew. I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. We don't get along with you Jews. We don't talk, much less men and women. And now this, this man, the Holy One, is going to speak to her. Jesus says to her, could you give me a drink of water? And they begin to talk. And in verse 10 of chapter 4, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? She says, Are you better than Jacob, our father, who dug this well and gave it to us? In verse 13, Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Church, how many of you know Jesus satisfies? Let me say that again. How many of you know Jesus satisfies? He is the living water. He tells this Samaritan woman who had tried so long to ha have satisfaction and to have life, and she's not gotten everywhere she's looked. I, I love that part. She says to Jesus, she says, how are you going to get water? The well's deep, and you have no pail. And if anyone would know how deep that was, it was her all her life. All her life she had pursued satisfaction and had never received it and Jesus tells her listen I'm the living water Jesus is what satisfies in John chapter 6 verse 35 just two chapters over he says it again he stands up and proclaims to a group of people at a festival I'm the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst he says I can bring satisfaction to you I am the only one who can bring satisfaction to you can I just tell you right now church that if you're looking for satisfaction you won't find it anywhere but in Jesus there's no place in this world where you can find satisfaction you must find it in Jesus you were made for this John chapter 7 just one more chapter over in verse 37 Jesus stands up at another feast, this great day, and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I want you to know something today, church. Jesus is the source of life. He is the source of real life, true life. Everything that you've been living for outside of that won't do it. It won't, it won't meet your needs. 
Jesus is the source of life. He is the living water. And I love how Jesus says time and time again, if you come to me, I'll, I'll quench your thirst. I'll, I'll take that water that you've been going to all your life and getting, and I will cause a fountain of living water to spring up within you. I want you to know something today, church. Jesus is the fountain of living water. He is the source of life and vitality for you and I. He is the root that when we are attached to, we are fruitful and we receive nourishment. And when we're not attached to him, we can't have any good works on our own. Jesus is the source of life. He is the living water. But, but God says in Jeremiah, I'm the fountain of life and you have forsaken me. You have abandoned me. Romans 1 tells the story of how all of creation did that. You know our favorite book that we've been going through for two years now, but no one's keeping track. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible tells us of this same situation. All creation is without excuse because knowing that there is a God and, and having God made evident by all of creation, they did not think it wise to give him praise or to thank him or consider him. Rather, they made for themselves idols. They abandoned God. And I, I believe that the church has done that today. We're satisfied with Sunday mornings, right? Well, I hope you are. Don't shake your head no. We're satisfied with Sunday morning checklist Christianity. I did my Bible study. Check. I did, uh, I went to church. Check. All right. I paid my tithe. Check. I uh, prayed today. Check. I prayed over my meal. Check. Christianity is not that checklist. Christianity is just loving Jesus and desiring Him. It's repenting of your sins and turning to Him. It's desiring Jesus. So can I ask you a question, church? Are you thirsty? Do you desire Him? Do you want Jesus? I, you know what heaven's going to be like? Heaven's going to be one great, big, eternal worship service to Jesus. He's on the throne, and all we're going to be doing is singing and praising and thanking him. What makes you think that when you die, some switch is going to be turned on, and all of a sudden you're going to like that? Some of you in here today have been fooling yourselves. Uh, you don't really care for church. You don't really care for worshiping God. You don't really desire him throughout the week. What switch is going to be flipped on you that all of a sudden when you die, you're going to desire him? Maybe it's the things of God that you desire and not him himself. Maybe you thirst after heaven, and by heaven you mean some way that you don't have to be in hell. Well, that's not the same thing as Christianity, my friend. That's not the same thing. Do you thirst after God? We, we need to thirst after God. We ought to be those people who, who long for him. We live in a, and exist right now today in a state of perpetual spiritual dehydration. Having the fountain of life within access, we have forsaken it. And we wonder why church feels so bland, why the Christian life seems so ineffective. And Jesus just doesn't live up to the hype that that man up there with a the bow tie says he does. And we wonder why, when we have abandoned him, we want him on Sunday mornings or just a few words from him. 
but we don't really want him. We want the good feeling that we have when we mark that off our list. Checklist Christianity. The Bible teaches us that we are to desire God. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus tells in that great sermon on the mount his followers he says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for what they shall be satisfied what does the psalmist say in psalm 42 verses 1 through 2 as a deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you O god my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Listen to his desire. That's not just some, that's not just some uh, uh, example that we can't live up to. We're to do the same. David had all kinds of faults, and he, he rebelled and sinned, and yet still he was a man after God's own heart, a man in pursuit of God's own heart, someone who desired God. He says, my soul pants for you. You know, like when a deer's really thirsty and he's panting for that water, I got to find that, I got to find that stream, I got to get to it. Do you desire God like that? Do you desire Jesus like that? Are you envious of the time that you can, you can come to, to the Word and spend time getting to know Him? Do you spend time throughout the day desiring Him? Or are your affections set somewhere else? Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8, David says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love, Lord, your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Well, that sounds like someone who desires God. Do you desire God? Let me read one more. Psalm 143, 5-6. David says, I, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Can I ask you a question today? Are you thirsty? I mean, are, are you thirsty for Him? If you're like me, even as I've been studying this, a lot of times my study over this past week, over the past several weeks as I've looked to, forward to this series, has spent a lot of times just on my knees and saying, God, I don't thirst for you like I ought to. I'm going to be honest with you as your, as your pastor. Sometimes we get all wrapped up in the things of this life, don't we? We stop thirsting for him. Are you thirsty? God says, you have abandoned me. You have abandoned me, the fountain 
of living waters. Have you abandoned the fountain? And then the next question that pushes the text forward is this. Are you drinking from an empty well? Are you drinking from an empty well? Back in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They have hewed out for themselves cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I'll tell you, if anything sounds in this passage like the church today, I would say this is it. After we've abandoned the fountain of living waters, we've settled for much less a well that won't hold water. It's strange to think of a well that won't hold water. In, the, in Israel during the time of Jeremiah, it, uh, the, the porous limestone rock cisterns would not hold the water. So in many cases, Palestinians had to uh, go down that well and down that cistern and coat the walls with plaster so that it would hold the water in. They would have understood what Jeremiah was saying here. You've abandoned water that has come to the surface for you. A spring of water ready and available for you to put out your hands and bring to your, to your mouth and to quench your thirst. And instead of that water, you've worked real hard for a well that won't even provide water. How about that? A church, a people who are constantly uh, in, in possession or have the knowledge of satisfaction and yet they choose to be satisfied or to seek satisfaction in themselves. Are you drinking from a leaky well? What well are you drinking from today? You know, in a crowd this size, I dare even say it, there's people who look for peace and satisfaction in life through alcohol. They're just going to drink their problems away. But the problem is, the next morning, problems are still there, aren't they? Difficulties are still in your life. No matter how addicted you may have become to that alcohol, no matter how much it may have taken away, maybe it's drugs. It may take away the bite of real life from you for a little while, but it's going to leave you still wanting that high you're going to come down from. If it's not alcohol or drugs, maybe it's appearance. Maybe you, you get real satisfaction in the way people see you. You present yourself. You make yourself look nice. You stay in shape. But I got news for you. That body's going to wear out. That shape's going to change. It's going to get bigger and change in different ways. Oh, in the end, that's not going to leave you satisfied. Not in alcohol or maybe relationships. Maybe one of those people who makes friends real easy. Are you really invested in friendships and relationships? And you get deep satisfaction. You get your satisfaction from relationships until you find out that people are people, no matter whether you call them friend or not. And they're going to fail you. And they're going to let you down. And they're going to stab you in the back. Because that's what people do. We mess up. We sin. No, if you're going to the broken well of friendship and relationships for your satisfaction in this life, you're not going to pull anything out of there. What about religion? A lot of people mistake religion for a relationship with Jesus. 
if I'm just here at church and I just tithe and I sing my songs and I know them, if I don't complain and I vote correctly in the business meetings, well then, then I'm okay. My parents were Christians. I belong to, if, if, if in your obituary, the most thing that you are uh, excited about is that, is that you are a member of First Baptist Church. Well, I am so thankful that you have been a member here for so many years. But your name on this role in that office does not ensure your name on the Lamb's Book of Life. And religion won't get you there. No matter how good you try to be, you're saying, uh, I, I'm going to get great satisfaction out of my morality. Well, it won't take you long to see that that well won't hold any water. Because you know yourself better than I know you. I know me better than you know me. And I know that my goodness is nothing. It doesn't exist. It's non-existent on my own. What about professionalism? Business? What about psychology? The modern psychology today would teach that everybody is good. Just be who you are, unless you believe in the Bible, of course, and then don't be them, be us. Psychology would teach you just be happy with yourself, just be satisfied in who you are. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. Psychology is always the great letter down of mankind. The famous philosopher uh, and writer and poet Voltaire once said that the Bible was irrelevant. And he taught everybody that the Bible was irrelevant. He said that Jesus was a degenerate. And he was teaching all throughout his time and through his plays and through his writings that the Bible would not last. And when he died, the Geneva Convention bought his house. Uh-oh. When he died, the Geneva Convention bought his house, and they used it as a distribution center to put Bibles out to all the world and all the languages. You know why? Because the Bible outlives its pallbearers. The Bible outlives its pallbearers. Whatever you're pu putting your faith in, I want you to know his word has never been wrong. He has never failed to, uh, to keep his promises. And everything in this life is going to let you down. You are, you are putting your pail down into an empty and broken well that can hold no, no water. Do you find satisfaction in money? It'll go. It'll go away. It'll burn up. Fame. What people think about you. Maybe, maybe you're addicted to your phone or social media or movies, anything that just distracts you from real life. I want you to know it's all broken wells. They don't hold water today. You're saying, I've been seeking for satisfaction all my life, and I've not found it. Maybe you've been a member here for many years, and you say, I've been searching for satisfaction all my life, and I've, and I've never found it. The answer is Jesus. He is the source of of living water, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? I love what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless a satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's a such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's a such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there is such thing as sex. I, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
You see, you have, a satis- you have a desire in your heart that longs for a satisfaction that nothing on this earth can provide. And the answer is, you weren't made for the things on this earth. You were made to find satisfaction in something greater outside of this earth. And that's in Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you today in whatever you've been seeking satisfaction in? Christians, can I encourage you this? If you've been seeking satisfaction in anything but Jesus, can I encourage you to be thirsty for Jesus? To desire him like the psalmist desired him? To desire him as we ought to, as is deserving from a God who loved us so much that he didn't withhold his only son, but sent his only son to come to this earth and live a perfect life and to die for you and me. To take our sins upon himself. We ought to thirst for that one. We ought to desire Jesus. In Revelation 2.5, and we'll close. Revelation 2.5, Jesus writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, oh, church, you've been doing such a good job. and these, your, your meetings are going well. You preach good doctrine. You preach great doctrine. I mean, you're on point with that. You despise evil. You're working really hard in all those areas. But he says this, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Maybe you're here today and your thirst for Jesus has become non-existent. You're just satisfied with a little bit of church, maybe. Maybe a Bible study here or there, a prayer here or there. Maybe you've stopped thirsting for Jesus. Jesus tells that church in Ephesus three things. He says, I want you to remember where you came from. Remember the love that you had at first. Remember that love that you had for Jesus when you first met him, when he first changed your life, when he first saved you. You remember that love that you had at first? Remember that love. He says, repent. Repent of not loving and desiring Jesus. And then he says this, return. Start doing those works that you did at first. Perhaps you've stopped thirsting for Jesus. Just pray, God, help me to be thirsty for you. Forgive me that I have stopped desiring you. Help me to love you. Help me to want you more. Maybe you've never known Jesus. You've never, you've never repented of your sins. That means you've never turned from your sins. You've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You've never submitted to him in any way, even though maybe you've done all the right steps and you fooled everybody else. Can I encourage you to come down here during this time of invitation and speak to me or another counselor and allow us to lead you uh, to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. He is the fountain of living water. Whatever you're searching for, whatever your desires are for in this life, you won't find satisfaction but in Jesus. Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel and, if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.